Welcome one and all to yet another episode of the Soccer Talkies Podcast. My name is Vikram, I'm with Jack and today we'll be talking about the UEFA Nations League Finals. Alright, we'll be discussing about the semi-finals and uh, you know, what transpired in both matches. Uh, specifically, it seems that uh, Jack would want to touch on uh, France's latest victory over Belgium, but at the same time, you know, uh, we also need to talk about Spain and how they beat Italy's 37 match on beaten run. I guess before we get to that, let's uh, let's first and foremost mention that, you know, this is going to be a mouth-watering clash at the final. You know, France versus Spain, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be packed with drills and spills. I, I'm looking forward to it. Are you looking forward to it, Jack? Yeah, I, I went from not caring about the Nations League to being thoroughly entrenched. And thoroughly just focused on the final in about forty-five minutes. So <laughs> that is that is what football does. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I don't blame you. I don't blame you one bit. So I guess you know the sort of uh, start things rolling, right? Let's talk about Spain and Italy first, so that we can get to the best bit of uh, them all front at the end. Uh, so Spain and Italy, you know, the current reigning uh, Euro champion defeated. You know, by the Spanish. You know, and that not only that defeat also doesn't mark a bitter end to the thirty-seven match unbeaten run, but it also means they are denied of an opportunity to win the UEFA Nations League final to make it a double this year. What happened, and what are your thoughts on Spain moving forward? Well, what happened was Spain played them off the park <laughs> in a way that I absolutely did not expect. I mean, I yeah. pro- I mean, I probably should have given how well Spain played against Italy in the Euros. It was a game that was decided by penalties, so they were clearly two fairly even match teams. But yeah, boy, Spain were good. <laughs> so does and, this mean that Louis Enrique has sort of redeemed himself for his weird tactical decisions during uh, the 2020 Euros? I mean, probably. I think the, t- the the team today made significantly more sense than any of his teams in the Euros. Mm-hmm. It was a, your standard four three three. You didn't play Eric Garcia, which is an achievement in itself with Luis Enrique. <laughs> it was a logical back four: Alonso, Amarco Lafora, Patoreth, and Cesar Azpilicueta. They were solid. They were organized. Yeah. Italy had a few moments, but really they were strong. The midfield, there's a specific player in that midfield that we're going to have to talk about individually, but as a whole in their midfield, I think Koke was phenomenal in this game. And then their front three was a little weird because it seemed like they played Pablo Sarabia as a false nine, but really it was a lot of Ferran Torres drifting inside playing as a striker. Mikel Yarth, the ball on the left wing, was outstanding. He's such a good player and he's going to, I'm shocked he's still at Real Sociedad, but he's likely going to be gone next summer. And I think they were simple, I think they were effective, and I think that's very notable for a team that's, I guess, sort of young, going into San Siro on a day that was such a momentous day for Italy, their first game back in Italy after winning the European Championship, and spoiling their party. Pretty much, I guess. I mean, it it didn't help that uh, Bonucci got a red card, but I think, you know, at least technically, Spain going forward is interesting to watch. Uh, and this is a team that doesn't even have players like, you know, Ansu Fati, uh, Pedri, you know. Um, it'll be interesting to see how, how they move uh, forward. I am I know who you're going to talk about, uh, you know. You're going to talk about Gavi. 
All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Barcelona's won the kit. But I think as a Manchester United fan, right, I, I will admit, Ferran Torres is a quality player, man. Like, for £20 million, it's probably one of the best bargains uh, in recent transfer history, at least in the Premier League. You know, £20 million is still quite a, quite a fair bit of money, uh, something I probably won't see in my lifetime. But, um, you know, in terms of... Uh, in Speaking in terms of uh, relative terms, um, you know... What a player, mate! Really, I, I have nothing else to say. But what a player! <laughs> oh, he's absolutely—he is just the complete forward. Can play on the wing. I guess can play through the middle. I know he's done that a bit for City, though. I think he's much better on that right wing. He's, yeah. This wasn't even his best game for Spain. He scored a hat trick against Germany before the Euros. So he's clearly yeah. a player of just bags and bags of potential. He's one of, if not the. I mean, you can. You, you can say that he is the young star of Spain, but you're still forgetting about Ansu Fati, Pedro, and Gabi, who are yeah. all also phenomenal. So, I mean, it's it's you're it's really starting to see the blossoming of a golden generation for the Spanish national team between yeah. Torres, Gabi, who we'll talk about in a minute, Pedri, Ansu Fati, um, Pau Torres, who is very solid, Unai Simone as a goalkeeper is going to be in that position for a while. And I still feel like I'm forgetting a few people. <laughs> That's oh, the thing. Uh, Jeremy Pino. Jeremy Pino. Jeremy Pino, Pedro Porro, um, Mikel Marino is still fairly young. Yeah. There, there is a lot of... Brian Hill, who came off the bench in this game. There is quite a bit of talent, of young talent, available to Spain right now. Which is uh, interesting because, you know... After the 2010 uh, generation, correct? You know, the, uh, the Spain team that won the 2010 World Cup. Damn, I'm not going to lie. There was a period where there was a... There was a void of sorts. Because most of the 2010... Uh, the 2010 generation of players started, you know, getting older. And no one was there to sort of replace them. Mm-hmm. And you sort of see that uh, transition right now. I mean, of course, there were players there to replace them. But, you know, players of substantial quality... I don't think so. Um, and you, you see that right now. And it's good to see Spain finally having forwards or wingers who can actually score a lot of goals. Because <laughs> let's be real, uh, for the longest time, the striker department is where they've always lacked depth. You know, gone were the days where you had people at Morientes and Raul, you know. They had to rely on Diego Costa. Oh, David, <laughs> I mean, well, besides him, I guess, you know. The only problem with this Spanish side, in my honest opinion, is the fact that they don't call Iago Aspas. Iago Aspas. For God knows what reason. <laughs> uh, poor Barry. Poor Barry Aspas. But, I mean, they're, they're, they're probably best now moving forward without Iago Aspas, given the amount of young talent they have going forward. But this is sort of a bit of a shift from that sort of Spain team of the early 2010s, because those Spain teams were always known for being very defensively resolute, very resolute yeah. midfield, so they could they could just win a bunch of games 1-0 and then win yeah. a cup final that way. Yeah. But this team is really exciting going forward, and it has the potential to score bags and bags of goals if you know they're lined up in the way that allows them to expose the weaknesses of the defense, which they absolutely did against Italy. Well, if you ask me, if you ask my honest opinion, they have a good chance of beating France, man. Just saying, yeah. all right? Oh, yeah, they absolutely do. <laughs> they 100% do. <laughs> I, I will not lie about that. I'm shocked France beat Belgium, for being completely honest. But 
yes, this is definitely a good team. And now we definitely have to talk about Gabi because he is the most ridiculous story I've seen in a long time. Yes, we do. Do you know how many professional games this kid has started? Five games for Barcelona, I think. But I, yeah, I believe today. this may have been his fifth, his fourth or fifth actual start, and I think he's played five games for Barcelona. That's insane. He is, yeah, that's absolutely insane. I believe he's the youngest player to earn a Spain cap. He, he's no, I think he's the second youngest player to earn a Spain cap behind Munir, and then he's the quickest to reach a Spain cap, getting to a Spain cap in the fewest amount of games, mm. which is just absolutely absurd. He is. I mean, there's not a lot to be hopeful about in Barcelona right now, but <laughs> of, you know, the, li- the little straws that they have to grasp at, their young talent is definitely the main one, and Gabi is just the latest La Masia product who, I mean, the sky's the limit for this kid. He is, he not only played at such an early, you know, time in his career and at such a young age, but he started away in the San Siro against the reigning European champions, and he was one of the best players on the pitch. He's so good. He is absolutely phenomenal so so not, so not only sorry go ahead i was just gonna say so not only did barcelona have pedri who's one you know generational spanish midfielder they have two generational spanish midfielders true and in front of them they have uh <laughs> generational spanish winger in the form of i thought, uh, you, said, I thought you were gonna yeah. say in front of them they have martin brathwaite Oh God, no! <laughs> Yo, Martin, I, I, feel Martin I feel for Martin, man. You know, Depay sort of established himself as a primary forward, so he isn't able to uh, come on and show why he is uh, the goat in Barcelona anymore. On a serious note, right? On a serious note, uh, I, I was just gonna add that Gavi, the man, to sort of turn uh, Barcelona's season around because now they have Gavi. Now they have. <laughs> I'm too fucking. You're, you know, you're asking too... quite a bit of those kids. Yeah, I know. I mean, hey, Fergie did the same in '92, bro. But the difference being that you know, Ferguson I mean, had senior players to guide the players, and Barcelona don't really have and, much of those. And right also, now. Sir Alex Ferguson was a good manager, and Ronald Koeman isn't. But hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I mean, Ronald Koeman is a. Decent... The potential. I mean, the potential is there, though, right? Like, Gavi is definitely really talented. Antu Fati, Pedri, uh, Ronald Rappa, uh, players like that are definitely really talented. But I think, I wrote I wrote this in the article that I wrote about Ronald Koeman, but I remember a quote that um, I was about to say Marcel Gallardo, but it's not him. Uh, oh, look, <laughs> Marcel Bielsa. He said when he was manager at, at Athletic Club, it's not about playing young players, it's about setting, up, setting them up in a way that they won't fail. So it's not about, you know, Komen throwing these kids out in the second half when they're already losing 2-0 to Benfica. It's about him setting them up in the position where they're not just throwing them to the Sharks. Like, Gavi, Gavi played against Benfica and he was awful. Uh, Gavi, I believe, played against LA Madrid and he was also awful. Because he was, in, he was not given the ability to succeed in those teams. Now, you know, as... Barcelona get healthier, they can maybe turn it around under Koeman, and they can maybe, led by these young players, sort of figure it out the rest of the season, but I don't necessarily think that's, at least based on what I've seen right now, I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case, and I don't think that's Gabby's fault. Mm. 
Well, if that's the case, right, Gabi, uh, you will always be valued at a team like Manchester United. So come on over when you're feeling full skin. All right, we'll be more than happy to help you out. It's but, at least uh, it's at least motivating from the Barcelona sense that once they get out of this trouble, they're gonna have a pretty good core of young players to build off of between you know Gabi, Ansu Fati, Pedri, Ronald Rafa. Um, I think there's another player, Nico Gonzalez, who's a really good defensive midfielder. Frankie Dion, who's I mean, obviously already there. Serginio Dest, who's already there. But they just Serginio have to Dest, get okay. out of this existential crisis first. <laughs> I mean, quite honestly, right? They are in a depth of, what, 400 million? Uh, is that right? Probably more than that. I think their registered losses this year was 400 million. Oh, wow. Holy. Oh, my God. I think, their debt's, about, I think over... their debt's about a billion euros. Mate, Saudi should have taken over Newcastle instead of Barcelona, mate. Eh, sorry, uh, Barcelona instead of Newcastle, mate. Uh, I think the dead um, is the reason why they didn't take over Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> also, the complexities of Barcelona being a shareholder system and not as compared to Newcastle, which is just direct owner, but still, I wouldn't... Why would you buy a sinking ship? That's a very good point. No, that, that, that is a very good point. All right. I guess with regards to that, um, what is, what does this mean for Italy then? I think it's probably just a bump in the road for them. Like they're never gonna win every I hope game so. for the rest of time. Well, I don't. Hope yeah, so. <laughs> I mean, Italy are still good. Like they are. I think they're gonna have to solve the problem of the Chiellini Benucci issue because they're not getting any younger and they're not getting any quicker. So, I feel yeah. like the transition from Chiellini and Benucci to someone else is likely going to have to happen before Qatar. And they sort of started it today by playing Alessandro Bastoni, who's a player who's very good and I like very much. But they're going to have to figure out the center backs and they're going to have to figure out the striker. Because they played Bernardeschi as the center forward. That didn't work. Oh, wow. Um, Chiro Mopley still is allergic to scoring for Italy. Moise Cadden came on. He wasn't really all that effective. Um, they're going to have to... Uh, I, I do not believe he was called up. Oh, wow. He was, he he not, was had... not in the team. Damn. I mean, who else do they realistically have going forward that they could call up? I mean, I guess when you look at... Well, players who they could realistically realistically call up right now I was about to list off like Sebastiano Esposito or someone like that but mm-hmm. in the short term let us look up Italian strikers on my Could favorite player up. lookup website so FIFA <laughs> even though I don't play FIFA <laughs> anymore <laughs> I mean quite honestly right the only other player they could Realistically, call up is someone that all of us uh, FIFA fans know and love. Well, not really love, but know for sure. It's Kevin Lasagna. Not really. Uh, well, I mean, you have Chicho Caputo, who's not Santoria, who's not all that good. Matias Akagni Lazio is all right. Uh, Andrea Patania at Napoli is just a bull. Simone Zazo is not good anymore. Um, Gabbiadini is not good anymore. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> um, no, man. With the Destro, maybe? <laughs> it um, seems like we're clutching a straws here. Um, yeah, it seems like it. 
Ricardo also Vinicius. Bro, what happened to him, man? Like, he's he's faded way into oblivion. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, they don't have a lot. They don't have a lot to choose from actually. Yeah, I mean, in the medium enough. in the medium term, they're sort of just hoping that Moise that Moise can is the guy. Because out of Sebastiano Esposito, John Lucas Camaca, and Eddie Eddie Salcedo, I doubt any of those three are actually close to national team level at this present moment. To be honest, right, I'm going to stand by what I said, and uh, Kevin Lasagna is going to get called up, man. Mark my words, bro. All right, Kevin Lasagna is going to be marked. It's uh, going to be called up for him. All right. Um, what was I saying, mate? Um, Italy bumping the road. Yeah, no, I think you're right there. Um, it's it's just a minor bump. They're going to probably restructure their defense or try to find a way to sort of assimilate the newer blood into the system before Qatar, because they have to. Um, that being said, yeah, because because their center, you can't go to a World Cup with center backs with like the combined age of seventy five. For God true. knows how Very old Fabinho and Chiellini are. Chiellini's knees I'm might combined. fall out of their sockets by the time Qatar rolls around. Yo, you say this, and he he probably goes on to play for another five years. Maybe it's probably <laughs> uh, some some other Serie A club. Probably, probably still for Juventus. Hell, why not? But yeah, I mean, to be honest, you know, you're not wrong, man. How, how about France then? Let's let's talk about France and Belgium. If there's nothing else we want to add on Italy, oh boy, I would love to talk about France and Belgium. <laughs> All right, let's talk about France and Belgium. It's a thrilling three-two encounter that sees Theo uh, Hernandez score a winner in the what minute was it again, Jack? I believe his register is according to the score chart. It was in the 90th minute. Damn! What a game! It was an <laughs> unbelievable game that I think France desperately needed I think Didier Deschamps desperately needed and I think Kylian Mbappe desperately needed yeah yeah because in the first half I don't think they were terrible but boy did it not look good at times there was a lot of, I guess, individually from Mbappe, there was a lot of selfishness. He was dribbling into a lot of trouble. He was looking to take players on instead of bringing his teammates in. The defense didn't look all that great. Benjamin Pavard still baffles and bewilders as to why he plays for France. Azrin Rabiot yeah. baffles and bewilders as to why he plays for France. They did that in the second half as well, but, you know, I dream of a day where France can play a game without Benjamin Pavard and Adrian Rabiot on the team. And <laughs> Belgium scored two pretty good goals, especially the second goal from Lukaku, if you haven't seen the highlight. But even with as good as both of those goals were, you could genuinely call it to question whether Hugo Lloris should be saving them. And he made a few good saves in this game, and he probably kept France in the game a few times. But I think yeah. this is the day where... France can genuinely question whether Hugo Lloris should be continuing as the, as the number one. Especially with how good Mike Magnon has been facing along. And then the huh. second half was just 180 degrees different from the first half. They went into the first half similar to how they played in 2016 or 2018 of, you know, we're just going to absorb pressure, we're going to try and manage the game, we're going to try and you know play a little bit on the counter when we can. 
And then they just decided at halftime that, you know, let's just go out and punch Belgium in the face repeatedly and see how they respond. And they responded very poorly. Uh, Deschamps said in his post-game press conference that there were a lot of very strong words said in the dressing room at halftime, mainly from uh, Hugo Lloris, Carmen and <laughs> Kylian Mbappe. And I'm not surprised. he didn't reveal what was said. He said he would reveal what they said if they went on to win the Nations League. But that was apparently a massively motivating moment. Especially when a lot of people said going into halftime that France needed to make changes and they didn't end up making any changes. They looked like a completely different team in the second half. Things oh, wow. didn't exactly fully work. I still don't think the front three of Mbappe, Griezmann, and Benzema fully works. But there's at least some potential there now because Mbappe, when he plays within a team system and when he's not being selfish, is an unstoppable player. And he can Why are you being selfish? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. <laughs> I think Neymar's been leading him down a dark path. He just needs to go to Real Madrid already. But it doesn't help that. I mean, hopefully Messi uh, has another positive rub on effect on him because maybe he's been. I don't even uh, think so Messi wants to be there, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> but thought, bro. I think what Mbappe showed against Manchester City in the Champions League for PSG, what he showed today is that when he gets his head down, when he plays within the system, while still sort of playing to his strengths and his speed and his dribbling, he is incredibly dangerous. And when he's able to combine that with his with you know playing his teammates into the game, which he directly assisted Karen Benson's goal, then he's an unbelievably dangerous player, and he's a player that takes France from being pretty good to being one of the best teams in the world. Yeah, no, I mean you're not wrong. I guess to sort of uh, touch on, to, to sort of uh, dive in a ten, dive on a tangent for a bit. Um, you talk about the Griezmann Mbappe uh, Benzema combination. I mean, what would be better if that's the case? If I don't not this streak. I think the only logical alternative from that front three would somehow be bringing in Olivier Giroud and playing two players off of him. Because Giroud is the only actual true target man that France can call on. As a player who can draw defenders, hold the ball up, and play in players around him. That would be the only sort of structural alternative to that front three that I could see. But if they play the way that they do in the second half, where they're playing higher up the pitch where they're pressing where they're engaged a lot off the ball Karen Benzema specifically in the second half worked his tail off off the ball and I think that made a massive difference then I think that front three has potential to improve I think also one of the failings of that front three was the midfield not exactly being all that good Griezmann having to drop back into midfield to receive the ball and having to drop back into midfield to help out with the defending because Adrian Rabio is absolutely useless so if they get the composition of that midfield right, aka when N'Golo Conte comes back, <laughs> then I think it has the potential to work even better. Fair. I think that's that's, that's, that's definitely a fair assessment. Um, I, guess I, also think Gri- I also think Griezmann was able to get into the game more when Rabio came off for Ariel Chiomene, who provided a bit more of defensive steal in midfield compared to what Pogba and Rabio were providing prior or providing up to that well I mean it's Rabio and Paul Pogba um, Jesse yeah. <laughs> neither <laughs> of them care about defending yeah, exactly um, Pogba wasn't even was bad Pogba was pretty good especially with some of those long through balls that only him can play 
But yeah, yeah, France need a defensive midfielder in there if they're going to play in this 3-5-2 setup, which I definitely think has potential if they play the right players. Well, I'm 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 happy he brought off Rabio as opposed to Pogba. Uh, <laughs> uh, good on him, man. Um, I was just about to ask uh, just now, uh, what what does this mean for Belgium? Because it effectively means that you know the World Cup in Qatar is their best shot of their golden generation, the new golden generation rather of uh, you know gaining a trophy of any sort. I mean, it's not their best shot; it's their last shot. It is, yeah. I mean, right. This might have been their best, their best remaining chance to win something. Yeah, that's right. Because Eden Hazard is not the same player he was a few years ago. Kevin De Bruyne doesn't look the same player that he was a year ago. I think he's yeah. still having some lingering issues with his ankle and with whatever Antonio Rudiger did to his face. Romelu Lukaku is still one of the best directors in the world, so he's going to be constant there, but. Hazard's not the same player, De Bruyne's not the same player, and that defense is not getting any younger. No, it isn't. And it really isn't. Going into 2022, I really don't fancy their chances, especially against a resurgent Italy, especially against a resurgent France, potentially yep. against a resurgent yep. Germany. <laughs> yeah. A resurgent Spain. Before, and that's before throwing in probably the best World Cup team that Lionel Messi is going to have in his career. And Brazil, who are, you know, Brazil. (laughs) (laughs) And on top of that, the potential of maybe a sneaky good African team and maybe Algeria. And you you sort of think maybe this Belgian team is not going to win anything. And that that becomes more interesting when you think about how heavily linked Roberto Martinez is to the Barcelona job. And also the fact that Newcastle is going to be looking for a manager very soon. And Roberto Martinez has wow. management experience in England. So I think it might be sooner rather than later that the Belgian national team is looking for a new manager. Oh, wow. Would that be Terry Henry by any chance? Given that be. he was the system man, it could be. It could you know, be. I mean, would it be the best move? I don't think so, but... Uh... Crazier things have been done. That's true. That's true. But I mean, Martinez has been holding this position for donkey years, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been there for quite a while. I think, I think he has gotten as much as he's ever going to get out of this team out of him. Yeah, five years at at national team job is. I mean, it's more common now, but it's still, you know, fairly uncommon. Uh, given how managers are chucked into the bin once things don't go, uh, you know their way or they don't make you know a substantial progress to the next round okay I mean that being said Martinez has delivered uh, to a certain extent when it comes to Belgium progressing to the lesser stages of a competition yeah I mean he got them their best World Cup finish ever and quite frankly I think he was unlucky to only finish third in the 2018 World Cup I don't think he necessarily well you can probably say the fact that they had to come from behind to beat Japan was his fault because I think they were just tactically mess in that game. But yeah. I don't even think it's his fault that they lost to France. I just think they were incredibly unlucky and France shit has the game. Like <laughs> Belgium probably should have won the World Cup in 2018. That's they should have. probably they should have. going to be the lasting legacy of this Belgium team is that Samuel Mtt goal. 
in a game that they probably should have won and probably would have won if the ball bounced their way a few times. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to care about it. <laughs> Bruh. Because okay, they told right. us after 2018, you know, if France would have played football, then we would have beat them. And in 2021, we decided to play football and we still beat them. So, you know, <clears throat> tough luck, Belgium. Tough luck, Sucks Belgium. To suck. It really does. You hate Damn. to see it. And I guess uh, <laughs> on that miserable note for uh, Belgium, right? Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add to sort of... Uh, <laughs> I mean, is there anything else you'd like to add, actually? Yeah. Um, I'm happy Personal Contende didn't play. <laughs> Uh, congratulations to Teo Hernandez for locking down the France starting left back job for the next decade. Probably. Congratulations to Luca Dean for proving that he doesn't have to play for France to still get injured on international duty. <laughs> Yo, I, I feel sorry for you as an Everton fan, man. Like, bro. I've just accepted really misery at this point. <laughs> I really have. Everton have the yeah. worst injury luck possible. Like, they already get more training injuries than I've ever seen any team get. And Luka Dean wasn't even training with Everton this week, and he still got injured. How does this work? How does this happen? <laughs> make it make sense. Makes zero sense to me, man. Well, I guess on that note, right? Um, if uh, for those of you thinking that you know the final is going to happen. You know, in the next uh, international break, you're wrong. It's going to happen this weekend, actually. Third place uh, playoff is happening on Saturday. Um, and Sunday is when they're going to be playing the um, the final between France and um, Spain. That's right. That's funny, huh? to, to me, oh, my goodness. It's at the San Siro. Please, France, win this. Please. Ooh. <laughs> Win Sad. a major trophy in Italy. I would love that so much. I don't even care. Real redemption arc from 2016. Yeah, bro. Okay, all right. I guess on that note, right, to sort of conclude, I, I, I think it's important to note that, you know, these are all four very strong teams. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Spain and France do, but also how Italy and Belgium, uh, you know, fare against each other. Because I think that's also a pretty interesting match, all things considered. You know, you have two teams that are... Well, you have one team that's sort of, uh, you know, desperately trying to make the best use of its golden generation, while you have another team that's on somewhat of a resurgence. Um, resurgence, at least, you know, in terms of uh, you know, rising up again after years of uh, misery. I mean, didn't they sort of not qualify for the 2018 World Cup or am I mixing this up with another No, World they Cup? definitely did not qualify for the 2018 World Cup. Alright, that's right. A scandalous moment. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, at the same time, you also have, uh, you know, Spain and France who boast some very exciting talents on both sides. So, let's hope for the best and take a look at, and, you know, let's see what happens. You know, let's, let's, let's genuinely see what happens. That being said, I know Jack's going to support France, and I'm probably just gonna. Uh, well, I'm, I might sleep through. I'm not. I might not sleep through the matches. I'm not gonna lie, guys. It's it's, it's hard, you know, doing this at Singapore. But uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's just the Nations League. So it's just the Nations League. 
I'm preparing my not care attitude for the possible reality of Spain winning the final. But that's right. Yeah. If, if we lose, it's just the Nations League. If we win, this is a landmark, important moment going into 2022. That's a very, very uh, good point. And I guess on that good point, um, this has been Vikram. This has been Jack. And we are the Soccer Khakis Podcast team. Do tune in to our next episode where we talk about the one, the only... Newcastle United. Take care, guys. Hallelujah.